Hi, and welcome to the DP World Tour Life on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Porter. And in today's episode, we're chatting to the most recent winner on the DP World Tour, Ryan Fox. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ports. You're welcome, mate. Uh, you must be on cloud nine after that victory. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, to win so early in the season um, after what's been a pretty tough couple of years is is awesome. Um, unfortunately, it's been dampened a little bit by seven days in quarantine, but I'm certainly looking forward to getting out tomorrow and uh, celebrating a little bit with friends and family. Yeah, she's made fingers crossed. Uh, I bet you can't wait to celebrate with the family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've spoken to them probably three or four times a day, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing them. My my daughter started walking uh, while I was away, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. And um, yeah, got a couple of dinners planned with the family and friends, and um, probably a bit too much red wine. But um, <laughs> I've got a few weeks off now, so I should be able to recover. Well, you deserve you deserve it, mate. So that that win in Russell Kaimer that came off the back of a four week stretch in the UAE for you, sixty uh, first, twenty sixth and a miscut in the first three events. Did you surprise yourself at all with uh, your form there? Um, not really. It was actually pretty close the first two weeks. Um, I hadn't played any tournament golf since the end of October. Um, so there was a fair bit of rust. And obviously, you know, going into two Rolex series events, it's probably not ideal preparation, having three months off. And um, bar a really poor back nine at Abu Dhabi, I was sort of running in the top 30 and felt like my game was in really good shape and um, had a bad round on Friday in Dubai, but the rest of it was really solid. So I, I kind of felt like it was really close. Um, the first week in, in Ra's al I, I had a few back spasms and sort of really struggled on the Friday and it was probably a blessing I missed the cut, to be honest. I, I'd actually played quite solid on Thursday and got not, nothing out of it and it was a real struggle Friday and got some physio over the over the weekend and um, my physio flew in from Holland on the Monday night um, and we did some pretty good work Tuesday, Wednesday and everything felt really, really good and um, you know, obviously it worked pretty well for the week as well. Yeah, absolutely it did. Look, four weeks in a row can be pretty tiring at the best of times, but especially when you're in contention and uh, in the spotlight to win a tournament, was there any fatigue at any stage there or did adrenaline get you through? I think adrenaline got me through. Um, I didn't sleep very well, as I mentioned a couple of times the, the night before. So I probably only had four or five hours sleep. But there was, yeah, there was plenty going through the veins. And the, probably the only time I really relaxed is after I had that second shot on the green on 18 and um, felt like I pretty much couldn't mess it up from there, which was certainly a nice feeling. And, um, yeah, I mean, adrenaline's a wonderful thing in that regard. I was you know, ready to go, obviously being in the lead, the whole week going wire to wire was pretty tiring. I don't think I may have done that on the challenge tour. I'm not sure, I, but if I've done it, I, I can't remember doing it. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a tiring week, but definitely worth it. And um, yeah, flying out Monday morning uh, with no sleep as well, <laughs> pulling an all nighter on Monday night was uh, off Sunday night was interesting, but um, had 19 hours or so in a plane to think about that and get some sleep. So it, you know, it was all worth it. Well, it was three years since your previous win uh, in Perth. How were the nerves in that final round? Yeah, they were pretty bad. Um, I had that awful feeling in the in the pit of my stomach all day. Um, surprisingly, I, I, I fell asleep okay the night before, but I woke up pretty early. I think I woke up at 5 or 4.30 or something, and you, know, you just have those thoughts roll through your head that you can't really get rid of. Um, you, you know, feel like you've got no control over them, and... 
I was actually okay once I started warming up. I was definitely nervous, but I was a lot less nervous than I was, um, you know, the, the whole morning. And there was a couple of nervous shots on the golf course. Obviously, that little miss on four kind of was a was a bit of a whoopsie. But um, I, it wasn't quite as good as it was the first three days. But I felt like I still had pretty good control over what was going on. And um, yeah, I, I definitely was nervous, but felt like I it wasn't overwhelming at least. Well, the first three events in the UAE were won by guys in their 20s, so nice to chalk one up for the 30s club. Yeah, I know. I feel very old on tour. <laughs> it's, uh, obviously, there's some pretty pretty hot young talent out there. I mean, those the youngest probably being the Hoygaard twins. I mean, was it five wins on tour in two years or something like that? I mean, I've played with both of them, and they're very, very impressive. So, um, yeah, it was nice to chalk one up for, for one of the older guys and... Um, actually shoot a, some, a, decent, a few decent scores, get a low number in there. That's probably the lowest I've been on tour for four rounds. Um, so, yeah, certainly nice to nice to do that and hold some putts and um, drive it pretty well for the week. So, yeah, it was uh, the game's in pretty good shape. Now I've just got another eight weeks off before I play again. Well, you've got a knack for going low, and we'll touch upon that uh, a little bit later. But on the subject of the young guns coming through, what there are so many of them. What impresses you most collectively? about the young guys coming through? Probably the fearlessness, to be honest. I mean, you know, they've, again, to use the Hoygaard twins as, as an example, I mean, they came on tour just ready to win. You know, there was no, put themselves in contention a couple of times, don't get the job done and, you know, figure it out a little bit later on. It's literally get in contention, be ice cold, hit all the shots you need to hit and, and win. And um, it seems to be, you know, guys are coming out on tour now really young with really rounded games. Um, you know, there's there's no weaknesses, which you know, even I felt like when I came out on tour six years ago or so, you know, I still had plenty of work to do to get to to world class in that sense and still got plenty of work to do to get there. But, you know, it feels like all these young guys are coming out with all the tools and, um, you know, ready to compete and don't care what event it is, don't care who they're competing against, just go out and get after it. Well, it's been well documented uh, that you grew up the son of an all-black legend, uh, grandson of one of New Zealand's greatest cricketers. As a kid, did you feel pressure at all to succeed in the sporting arena at all? Not really. I mean, both my granddad and my dad were very supportive of whatever I did. Um, But, you know, obviously with that background, I was always going to grow up with sport in my life. Um, You know, my earliest memories are facing my granddad bowling to me in the backyard and I think I was three or four and he's bowling off spin, leg spin and wrong ends and top spinners. And I've got to pick it out of the hand. Um, you know, obviously kicking a ball with dad in the backyard happened a fair bit as well. And, um, you know, rugby and cricket were what I naturally gravitated to, but um, there was always a golf club there. I think my granddad may have even built my first set of clubs from a couple of pieces of bamboo and a couple of blocks of wood. And, um, you know, I used to play golf with dad when I was a little bit older, uh, play the old corporate day with them here and there. And so there was always sport sport there, but no real pressure to succeed. Maybe maybe pressure from other people. You know, I, I was probably dumb enough to play first five, eight and kept goals as well. So there was always going to be a direct comparison to the old man and I was never going to live up to that standard. Um, so yeah, there was probably a little bit of pressure in that sense that people expected me to be a little bit better than I was, but there was never any pressure from home. What about playing team sports, particularly uh, cricket and rugby, like you mentioned? Did you find yourself 
singled out or, or targeted at all in any particular way when you were younger? Uh, yeah, definitely in rugby. It's um, a bit harder to target people in cricket. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely hear when we're warming up playing rugby, or oh, let's, let's smash Foxy's kid and um, you know, a few other things I probably can't mention on here. But um, it was all kind of part and parcel of it. I, I didn't mind the physicality of rugby. Um, I had a few too many concussions to carry on. But um, yeah, I, I guess I didn't know any different either. So it was kind of, it is what it is. And you know, I was decent enough at rugby. I played first 15 and um, I really enjoyed my time playing rugby. But I'm glad I chose golf in the end. Well, yeah, your golf journey is actually a really interesting one because you attended university studying for a law degree and at the time playing off a two handicap. Uh, was there an ambition at that point when I'm assuming you were probably 18, 19 years old at that time to play professional golf? None whatsoever, to be honest. I think I'd played maybe two or three tournaments as a junior um, and they were all around my home course. Um, had no interest in playing tournament golf and after I finished school, I quit rugby mainly because of the concussion thing. Um, I didn't enjoy playing men's grade cricket. I played a season of that and that was a bit too intimidating, a bit too much seniority going on there. And I, as you said, I started a law degree and was doing the typical student thing, probably drinking a bit too much and eating too many kebabs and other things like that. But, um, you know, I, I really missed, I had two months without any kind of competitive sport and I really missed that and thought, well, I'll just give tournament golf a go. Um, went and saw a coach for the first time at 18 and got down to scratch pretty quickly. And my old man caddied for me at the uh, first tournament I played. And I remember it was called the Waikato Winter Stroke Play. And it was uh, in the middle of winter. Uh, there was frost on the greens. It was freezing cold. And we played 72 holes in a weekend, um, basically teeing off in the dark and finishing in the dark. And I absolutely loved it. And that was me from there. Basically, I wanted to play as many tournaments as possible. And um, after a couple of years of doing that, I started doing part-time uni and thought golf might be a, a career path from there. And um, yeah, pretty glad I, I got there in the end. Yeah, well, you've done you've done very well. I think you made the right decision. Look, speaking of your dad caddying, I've got a story. You turned pro in 2012, but prior to that, I remember playing with you and uh, Benny Campbell, who was one of the world's top amateurs at the time in yep. 2012, the New Zealand Open at Clearwater in uh, in Christchurch. And we started on the 10th hole, par five, water on the left, out of bounds on the right. We got to the 10th green, and I said to you, uh, I said to your dad, I said, your son's going to be a star. And I've been wrong a million times in my life, but I never, ever doubted that call. And I'm, I'm glad I was right. But uh, that the golf journey between attending university and, uh, and turning pro, uh, tell us about that, those few years. Yeah, well, um, that's quite a cool story, by the way. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate that. But um, so, but, yeah, basically, I went to part-time uni um, sort of two years into my degree. I dropped out of law pretty quick. I didn't enjoy that. Plus golf was um, a bit too much fun at that point. And um, I, I think I made New Zealand squad in 2008 um, and, you know, started playing team events and doing the overseas trips and stuff like that with New Zealand um, from about 2009 onwards. And I finished uni, I think at the end of 2009 with a uh, arts degree in psychology and, um, 
that was sort of the premise of me playing golf as mum and dad wanted me to get a degree. Um, even though I think my attendance in the last year of university was probably well below 25%. Um, and I think I refused to do one assignment because I was away on a golf trip and I just couldn't be bothered. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, after that, I definitely wasn't ready to turn pro. I think I was, I was 22 at the time. Um, and yeah, a long way away from feeling like I was, I was to a quality. And, um, I spent a couple of years playing full-time amateur golf, did a couple of summers in the States playing, you know, the big amateur events over there, Western amateur, quarter cup, those kind of events, um had really struggled my first year the second year I played a little bit better and um was in contention in a couple of them and I went to Q school in Aussie at the end of 2011 and finished top 10 which at that I think it was three rounds at that stage and and got my card uh for Aussie in 2012 and and never really looked back from there you did all right you had a couple of wins in Australia I remember you beat was it Queensland PGA I think you beat Cameron Smith by a shot in Toowoomba might have been 2013 or 14 no, I think I stole one off Matt Miller there. Cam Cam may have played, but I finished eagle eagle par from three back to beat Matt Miller by one, and I felt really really bad about it because he'd been on tour for about ten or fifteen years at that point and hadn't won. I was following him around yesterday in the final group of the final round at uh, one of the Players Series events. He's ninety seven years old now and still killing it. Not quite ninety seven, but uh, he's top ten every event. <laughs> He's impressive. Uh, he did go out and win the next week at the New Zealand PGA, so I felt a lot better about that than um, you know the week before stealing one off him. You inspired him. You won in Australia. He won in New Zealand. You swapped it around. I think we both probably would have swapped that, to be fair. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was nice. Uh, you know, nice to see him win after so many years of being almost. Yeah. Well, look. Let's skip to 2015, 2016. You ended up competing on the Challenge Tour in uh, in Europe. Did that come about via Q School or did your management company, ISM, get you a few starts? Yeah, so I signed with ISM in 2015 through the, basically through playing well on the Aussie Tour and um, they said they'll get me a couple of starts on the Challenge Tour and um, I, was, I remember going to the old One Asia event in Thailand um, when that tour was still going and I'd packed to go either home or to Europe for a few months and got the call on a Saturday saying, we've got your challenge to a start in uh, Livord. Uh, no, what, uh, what was it? Well, uh, Saint-Omer, I think it was actually, um, in France. And so I flew in, never been to Europe before, landed in London, kept, caught the train across to Calais and ended up in Saint-Omer and finished top 10 that week to get into Scotland the following week, finished top 10, I think 10th on the button in Scotland to get to Germany the following week. And one of the premises of me going over was to go to open qualifying. And I qualified for the open in 2015 as well. Um, played that, was ready to go home. And they said, oh, we've got you another uh, a start in front the following week. And I actually, I, I put my foot down and said, no, nah, I don't want to play. I want to go home. Like, just play. So I think I was literally had the laziest week in my life after coming off the open played a practice round on Wednesday didn't hit a single practice ball other than warming up for the week and ended up winning that event so maybe that's the secret going forward <laughs> but um and that was how I got challenged still status basically it was just all on a couple of invites and playing well at the right time well it's a really cool story uh the open championship uh your, your first major there was at St Andrews in 2015 and you made the cut what are, what are uh, some of your fondest memories from that week there's a lot from that week. It was uh, 
pretty cool experience. It was a, a really long week. I had that awful tea time at 4.15 on a Friday afternoon. I'd shot, I think I shot even par on, on Thursday and was kind of right on the cut line. Actually, I probably should say my, one of my best memories of the week was playing practice round with Adam Scott, played nine holes with Adam Scott when Steve Williams was catting for him and Steve had organised that. And I was, yeah, so nervous on that back nine and a few people following Scotty at that point. And yeah, it was, uh, he's such a nice guy. It was, it was a pleasure to play with him, but definitely very nerve wracking, but probably put me in good stead for, for the tournament. And in terms of the tournament, yeah, we, that Friday, I had the 4.15 tee time, which we had a three and a half hour rain delay and my tee time turned to 7.30. And I've never, never even comprehended teeing off at 7.30 before, let alone in a major. You probably still got 10 or 11 holes in. We got, I think we finished on seven. Um, and for those of you that know St. Andrews, that's as far away as possible. Mm. At, from the club mm. my, we were staying in St Andrews and my, fa- my whole family had come over parents my future in-laws my um, girlfriend now wife at the time and we had a crew of about 10 of us staying in a house and they had to walk probably the two or three kilometres back to the first tee and then another two kilometres back to our accommodation at 10.30 at night and then we were required to be there at 7am or restart at 7am they walked all the way back to get there at seven we played a hole and a half we got stopped because of wind and didn't get back out on the golf course till 6pm that night and I still had I still had eight holes to play and they walked all the way back in from there walked all the way back out again um and I managed to coming down the stretch I was one over for the day outside the cut line I think I eagled 14 hit it to an inch almost made albatross there um birdied 16 and birdied 18 to make the cut and got off the golf course at 10.30 for the second night in a row. And that was a very weird experience. And as you can imagine, on, on Sunday, I was absolutely wrecked in the third round. And then we had a Monday finish and got to play with Bernard Langer, first group out um, on the Monday, which happened to be Ivor Robson's last ever call for starting of an Open. So that was wow. that was a cool experience as well. Shot 67 playing with Bernard in the last round. Got around really quick before the win came around. And I think I ended up sneaking in the top 50, which was nice. So that was a pretty cool week all around. Great to have the family and friends there. And um, a lot of random Kiwis turned up from Europe and the UK, which always tends to happen um, with New Zealand sports. And it was pretty cool to have that kind of presence out on the golf course at, at nine o'clock a couple of evenings. Well, you mentioned Stevie Williams as well. And uh, I know you guys have had a a pretty close relationship over the years. How did that all develop? Pretty organically, really. I mean, Steve knew uh, Marcus, my coach, really well. Um, and Steve just, I think, offered one day to come out and have a look while I was playing an event in New Zealand in maybe 2013 or 2014 um, and walked around, had a chat with him and then sort of caught up with him at various events uh, around the world when he was still kidding and um, got to know him really well. And then out of the blue, I, th- I think it was 2015 or 2016, got a call from him saying, um, if you don't have a caddy for New Zealand Open, I'd I'd love to caddy for you. And I mean, you can't ever say no to that. You know, arguably the, the world's best, ca- or probably the best record of any caddy any the world's ever had. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool to walk around with him doing that. And I've become good friends with Steve and he's caddied for me a few times since at New Zealand Opens and even did a small event in New Zealand last year that was uh, 
um, 15 minutes from his house. So we managed to get a win as well, which was pretty cool. And um, I think I spent the first two tournaments he caddied for me purely quizzing him about Tiger, um, which he was really open to and answering lots of questions and telling lots of cool stories. And um, I had a bit of fun relaying most of them to my mates over the years. Should start your own podcast, mate, about uh, you'd have plenty of stories. <laughs> it makes the, uh, you know, the story you, you told about that week at the Open and then winning in, uh, in France on the Challenge Tour the following week, it makes it all the more special, really, given how long and exhausting that week was. But that must have been pretty life-changing once you, uh, once you won there in France on the Challenge Tour because in the space of really six weeks, y- your life had changed, hadn't it? Completely. Yeah, I went from literally never been to Europe to having um we're playing in a major at st andrews and or an open championship at st andrews and then um you know having a really good chance at getting a european tour card so it was sort of i mean that that went better than i could have expected i mean the the goal at the start of the at the start of the year was to get enough starts to to try to keep a card for the following year and then all of a sudden in four starts i've got full status and um you know, a pretty well placed to get a tour card at the end of the year. It was almost beyond belief at that point. Well, you ended up finishing 16th in the Challenge Tour rankings and, and missed earning your card by one spot. If my memory serves me correctly, did you miss a stretch of events or something at the end of the year that ultimately cost you? Yeah, I sort of made a couple of dumb decisions, which kind of went against what management was telling me. Um, I'd, I'd got into Dunhill Links for the first time that year through the Aussie Tour money list and really wanted to go. My whole family was flying up and that was the same week as a Challenge Tour event and decided to play that over the Challenge Tour. Um, didn't play very well at Dunhill that week, missed the cut. And then we had another event on the Aussie Tour. Well, I think it was co-sanctioned with Europe. Oh, I may not have that. The Fiji International. I can't remember if it was co-sanctioned with Europe or not. And I always really enjoyed that golf course. And I decided to, I was flying home for a few weeks for a break before the end of the season. I decided to play that event instead of play another challenge to event. And I think I finished third in that event, but it kind of didn't mean anything for the challenge tour. And I missed a couple of events, went down the money list and came back and, you know, had probably spent all my energy. I think I'd done three trips back and forth to Europe at that point. Obviously New Zealand's about as far away as you can get. Um, Certainly wasn't flying at the front of the plane or anything. So body, the mind, everything was pretty tired. And I played awful at the end of the year um, and ended up missing my card by, I think it was like a thousand euro or 2000 euro, which is, you know, considering I missed probably five or six events, wasn't a lot. Um, But in hindsight, it was probably better. I think I ended up a much better player getting through in 2016 than I was at the end of 2015 and, and learned a lot through those hard times, sort of the start of 2016, feeling like, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. and um, Yeah, it was it was probably a benefit in the end that I missed. Well, it was quite a bounce back in 2016 because you notched your second Challenge Tour win in Northern Ireland. You had a couple of runner-ups, finished fourth in the Challenge Tour rankings to ultimately get your card for 2017. Did you find, uh, I, look, we all know that you love home, you love New Zealand. Did you find it easier in 2016 to be away from home or was it still, were you still struggling with the uh, trying to find the right schedule? I think 2016 was easier in a couple of senses. I, I tried to play main tour at the start of the year badly um, and I made the call pretty early on in the year that I was going to go back and play challenge no matter what. And the second thing, we decided we were going to have a base in London 
um, that the travel was was too brutal. At that point, I had a lot of living in London. Um, my sister was living in London at the time as well. So we we got a flat in Wimbledon and I ended up practicing out of Fox Hills. And all of a sudden, you know, instead of the in-between weeks, you know, having to find somewhere to stay and practice and stuff like that, I had a base I could go back to. Um, obviously, add sort of one 24-hour flight over a, over a six-month period instead of doing one every six weeks. And that made a massive difference. And I played great um, pretty much that whole season on the Challenge Tour. I think I might only miss one or two cuts, had a lot of top tens and, and another win and qualified for the Olympics as well. So it was a it was a pretty good season all round. And as I said, I think I learned a lot from the previous year and I was a much better player at the end of 2016 than I was at the end of 2015. Well, Foxy, you mentioned the 2016 uh, Olympics in Rio. What about the most recent one in Tokyo? A, how was your experience there? And uh, it must mean a lot to you being a proud Kiwi to represent your country, New Zealand. Yeah, uh, I mean, they were two very different experiences. Um, an honour to qualify both times. Coming from you know, my sporting background where representing New Zealand was the highest honour. Um, you know, it doesn't really get much bigger than doing it at the Olympics. Um, so, to, yeah, to represent New Zealand at the Olympics is awesome. To be part of a team, which you don't get to do in sport or in golf very often. Um, and with me growing up in team sports, that was, all, that was cool. And, you know, 20... 2020 or 2021 was a little bit dulled down obviously with the COVID restrictions we couldn't go to um, some of the other events which is I think that was the best part of the Olympics for me in 2016 I got to watch Mo Farah win the 10,000 got to see Michael Phelps swim had a mate of mine Simon Child who was captain of the New Zealand hockey team um, at the time he was a mate from school I used to play cricket with him and so it was cool to go and watch them play so there was none of that in 2021 um, felt, definitely felt a bit more like a normal golf tournament in 2021. You know, there wasn't, even though the, we were still in the village, it was a definitely a dumbed down experience, but still very cool to be a part of. Unfortunately, I didn't play that well either time. And um, I've sort of bookended both Olympic campaigns with a tournament the week before and the week after. So I didn't really get the whole experience, didn't get the opening ceremony or closing ceremony or anything like that. But just to be a part of the team, and with a whole bunch of other athletes from different sports. Yeah, that's that's what I enjoyed the most from it. It was very, very cool. One thing I found fascinating about the Tokyo Olympics was uh, watching the uh, the playoff for bronze medal. And I don't know how the atmosphere was there amongst the players, but it's, it almost sounds bizarre to say that, that there was like a five or six-way playoff for third uh, in, a, in a golf tournament. But I've got to be honest, I found it more fascinating and enjoyable than your typical golf you know, your typical golf tournament uh, week to week. Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of a funny one. You've got, obviously, in a normal golf tournament, you especially a big one, you're playing for every place personally because it means it's quite a bit in terms of money list and money and world rankings and everything like that. Whereas at the Olympics, it was you're only playing for these three places. You know, you're not you're not worried about anything else. And to see to see that third place playoff was just epic. And I'd actually played with CT Pan the first two rounds and he was kind of nowhere the first round. I think he shot three over or something. And then all of a sudden came right and played and played incredible the second round and obviously kept that going for the weekend. Well, I don't even know if it was a weekend, but um, you know, the third and fourth round. Um, and yeah, just the, the tension there. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was almost more thrilling to watch than, 
you know, watching Xander come down the last and winning the gold. Um, obviously, there was a little bit of drama there with him having to get up and down. But, um, yeah, that that playoff was just epic. I was just going to say, it was good to see a European get the silver medal, yeah? The Slovakian? <laughs> yeah, no. We started calling him Silver Slovak there for a while. I don't know if he liked it too much <laughs> or not, but um, I played with Rory a couple of weeks later at um, at the Dutch Open, or a few weeks later at the Dutch Open, and he was still buzzing from it. And Slovakia had taken it um, incredibly well. It was, it was huge for them. So, yeah. Good on him, and to shoot what did he shoot ten under in the last round or something silly like yeah, that? Yeah, sixty one, I think it was. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah there were some low scores in the last round, but still to go out and do that when, you know, probably the bit one of the biggest tournaments you're ever going to play. I mean, I know majors, majors are huge, but you know you've got one Olympics in every four years, and there's a whole lot of top ten players in the world that didn't get a medal out of those, out of that Olympics. So it's yeah, pretty big for him and. Um, it was just cool to see the whole the whole experience. It is different, but you know the getting announced by country and how we were on the first tee and wearing your country's colours and all that. That's just it's just different, but it's so it's so cool. And I think golf needs a little bit more of that at times. Well, twenty seventeen, your first year out on the DP World Tour, five top tens and three of those came in Rolex Series events. Uh, Wentworth, Ireland, uh, in, in and in France finished. 34th in the race to Dubai rankings. Quite the rookie season. Yeah, it was really good. Um, obviously, the Rolex series was really good to me. I think I had three in a row, France, Ireland, and Scotland. Um, and that was kind of my first proper taste of Lynx golf, um, playing Ireland and Scotland, and I absolutely loved it. Obviously, I played the Open in 2015, but to have a really good go at it a couple of weeks in a row and not just have a random tournament, it was uh, – it was. I really enjoyed that. And um, I was kind of nowhere before those Rolex Series events. I think I was sitting about 100 on the money list and had made a few cuts, but not really had any really decent results. And um, I don't know what it was about Golf National. That place is brutal, really intimidating. I think I shot two over or three over the first round and was looking like missing the cut and then shot, um, I think, four under, two under, four under on the weekend, something like that. Um, to, to finish in the top six, almost qualified for the Open as well with that finish. And at that point, it was kind of all the pressure was off. It felt like it was um, I'd probably made enough to keep my card for the year with that finish. And, you know, went in feeling really good the next two weeks in Ireland and Scotland and just kind of kept it going and um, missed the cut at the Open. But it was, you know, it was a really busy three-week stretch of golf. And then I kind of carried it on for a while towards the end of the season it was a little more inconsistent but um you know to finish 34th my first year was you know was probably I probably exceeded my expectations obviously the first year on tour I feel like it's kind of the hardest you know that's the one where you don't know if you're going to get into events you don't know if you're going to be able to compete with those guys or not and to to go out and you know not just keep a card but you know contend in a couple of big events play with some of the best players in the world and not feel like I was out of place and obviously finish high up on the money list it, it, I took a lot of confidence from that year and the USPGA championship that year at Quail Hollow must have done you the world of good too because I remember seeing you there and you were top 10 entering the final round that that would have been an incredible experience too yeah and then it all went wrong in the last round I think I finished 50th or something no I didn't shot. mention that yeah yeah but yeah that was I'd never been in a position in the major I was off you know late Sunday afternoon with the big crowds on a Crow Hollow was a really tough golf course and 
I'd played really good um, the first three days. I think I'd held the course record for about 20 minutes before Hideki and Justin Thomas beat it. But um, yeah, that was a really cool experience. And again, that was another so another moment where I, I'd played with a lot of the best players in the world and, you know, on the, on the same golf course and felt like I could compete. And that was, you know, even though finishing 50th in the end wasn't ideal to, to be sitting in the top 10 after three rounds at one of those events, you know, I felt really good about, you know, how I was progressing as a player. Well, 2018 was another fabulous uh, year for you. A, a couple more top 10s in Rolex series events, but one that I remember very clearly was the near miss in, uh, in Ireland against Russell Knox. That, that must have been pretty shattering coming so close. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of one of those ones. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. Um, it, would, it would have been worse had I, you know, made bogey down the last to get in the playoff and then lost the playoff or something like that. But I, I took the theory that week I was going to take the golf course on and um, I carried that on the whole way through the last round as well, played really solid. And, you know, I had couple of chances to win it outright um I had a thing I had about a 10 or a 15 foot eagle putt on 17 that I missed and then I hit it to to eight foot I think on the last in regulation and knew I had that putt to win I hadn't seen Russell hold his putt um I'd heard a big cheer and I was playing with Danny Willett and Danny was actually really encouraging he's like don't worry Foxy that wasn't Russell it was someone else hold that putt don't worry and get up there and saw that it was Russell that had hold the putt and um I had a great shot in there to eight foot and Dan probably steered me wrong. Actually had a putt from a very similar line that broke a little right to left. And I gave mine a little bit more than what I originally read because his, because his putt broke and my putt finished directly behind the hole. And I mean, looking at that, you go, well, I, I, I had, I had a putt exactly where I wanted to. And then obviously we get in the playoffs and I had two, two really good shots in there again, to 15 foot and Russell basically hold the same putt from by all accounts. And, I had a great putt and it horseshoed out. Um, you know, sometimes the golfing gods just, it goes against you. And that was one of those things. I didn't never felt like I lost that tournament. I felt like Russell went out on that and you know, I knew him pretty well. I played with him a few times and he's, he was a nice dude. I did, had no animosity there whatsoever. I felt like I did everything I could have. And, you know, if I'd have looked back on it too much more, I think I probably would have done my head in, you know, the odds of two forty footers in a row were pretty, pretty slim. Um, and then you know having one horseshoe out in the playoff to continue it's a little bit a little bit tough as well but you know it's it was just one of those weeks you know to be in contention at one of those events is is pretty cool and you know to feel like I did everything I could to win it and you know not do anything wrong I, I took a lot out of that anyway and you know, yeah it would have been nice to win but um, you know I, I felt I did myself pretty proud anyway that week. Five top tens, your first two years in Rolex Series events. What was it about the, or what is it about the big events that uh, that makes you step up your game another level? From being cynical, I think some of those big events were less putting competitions than the normal weeks on tour. That's probably been my Achilles heel the whole time I've been on tour. It's always been streaky, um, and sometimes when it's when it's been on, it's been the weeks where the ball striking's not been quite there, so it doesn't really show up and in, in, in the scoring but though I felt like the Rolex series were generally on a bit tougher golf courses for the most part um especially Lynx golf especially you know you, there's generally some wind you've got to have pretty good control over your ball I always 
felt like I hit the ball low, like found it very easy to hit the ball low and play in the wind because we draw up in that in New Zealand. And I played a lot of golf in Australia as well, as you know, it gets pretty bloody windy over there. Um, so I felt, you know, golf national was another one of those examples. You can't hide around there. You've got to hit it pretty solid. And that I felt like those golf courses kind of, kind of fitted my game a little bit better than some of the ones where you have to go out and shoot 20 under par every, or, you know, when you feel like you've got to shoot 20 under par every week to win. And, um, there's been a couple of them. I still haven't figured out. I still haven't figured out Wentworth, but, um, you know, I always enjoy that, that stretch Rolex series events through the middle of the year when they were there, the Island, Scotland, and then, um, you know, the open, if you managed to qualify on for those on top of that was pretty cool. Well, you finished 22nd uh, in the Race to Dubai rankings at the end of 2018, which was uh, excellent, second year out. And then February 2019, your first DP World Tour win at the World Super 6 in Perth. At that point, you were a multiple winner on the Challenge Tour, multiple winner on the PGA Tour of Australasia. But to get that first DP World Tour win, that must have been incredibly satisfying. Yeah, it was, especially after what had happened at the Irish Open in 2018. Um, you know, it felt like, there's so many good players out on tour. You don't get that many opportunities to win. Um, and yeah, as I said, I felt like that was a week I did everything right and probably could have won in any other week, but someone did something incredible to beat me and you don't know if you're going to get another chance. Um, and, you know, Perth was, was one of those weeks I'd, I'd had really good memories around that golf course. I played an Aussie amateur there and I think 2008 or 2009 and absolutely loved that golf course. It was one of my favorites. Um, and, you know, when we went back there and played, I, I always enjoyed getting out on the, at Karen up and playing and, you know, it was firm, it was fast, it was, you had to control your ball well, it was generally a little bit of wind, and even though I hadn't quite played that well around there, the previous couple of events we'd played, I felt like it was a golf ball so I could do really well around, and um, I always really enjoyed match play as well. I think that was the, that's the only match play event I've ever played on tour, Um and, you know, that, that I think that goes back to playing team sports as well. You know, you it was all the direct competition. I think tournament golf, you know, in a 156-man field, you don't get that feeling quite as much. You know, you, you're just trying to beat the golf course. Whereas, you know, playing match play, it doesn't matter what you shoot. You just want to beat the other guy opposite you. And obviously my, my family, I grew up in a pretty competitive environment. I mean, I, I don't think my old man talked to me for two days after I first beat him at golf. Um, you know, we used, to have, we used to have shouting matches, playing table tennis, pool and everything like that. And, you know, it was all good fun, but, you know, it was really competitive. I think match play kind of brought that out in me. Um, and, you know, I knew as soon as I qualified for that match play, I'd have a pretty good chance. And, you know, I got really lucky. I think Jazz, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I'll mess that up. Jane Watanon. Yeah, there we go. Um, I think he, I had my hat off ready to shake his hand. He missed a three footer to beat me in the second round, I think. And, you know, I remember Steve Williams always said to me, you need to have some luck to win golf tournaments. You know, even he said, even the weeks that Tiger won, yeah, he played great, but there was always that one, one shot that if it flown half a yard shorter, might've plugged it in the face of a bunker and he made birdie, made bogey instead of birdie kind of thing. And I felt like that, that week in Perth, I had some luck go my way. Um, whereas, you know, potentially the Irish Open, you know, Russell might have had the luck that week, not necessarily I did. And that's, that was all it was, you know, I could have been going home in that second round, but instead I, I carried on and played some really solid golf. And unfortunately the, the final was a little bit of an anticlimax. I think I won the first three holes against Adrian and kind of 
just knew I had to not make a mistake the, one of the last three holes but you know it was definitely a relief to get that win because you know you just don't as I said you don't get many opportunities and you know you don't know there's been plenty of guys that have dropped off the face of the earth in tournament golf after being great players and you always kind of got that in the back of your mind that you know that could happen to you and I'd really I really wanted to get a win on tour um, and it was definitely nice to get that first one. Well, you'll have to refresh my memory about uh, what took place in the week or two after it as well, because I, I do remember seeing you in Queenstown at the New Zealand Open a couple of weeks after it, but you'd been on this hectic whirlwind worldwide travel schedule. I think you spent more time in the air than on the ground in the two weeks, didn't you, in those two weeks? Yeah, I did. Um, so I went home and my in-laws have got a place in the Bay of Islands and we're actually due to get, well, we got married not too long, about three weeks after, three or four weeks after Perth. Um, and so we're having a little, planning on having a little bit of a holiday um, up in the Bay of Islands. I love my fishing. There's plenty of good fishing up there. It's three hours north of Auckland. There's barely any cell service. And I get a call on Monday night from, or I get a text from on Monday night from my manager saying, hey, can you call me? We, your world ranking just got you into Mexico, the WGC. And I've gone, okay, found it had to go for a walk to find some reception, gave him a call. We said, oh, Foxy, I think you should just skip it. You know, it's too much travel. I kind of had a look at flights and I, I had a flight that I could leave New Zealand on Wednesday night, arrive in Mexico before I la- before I took off on Wednesday, play the tournament and then make it back for the New Zealand Open the following week on a Wednesday. Time-wise, you actually took off. So you t- I'm assuming you took off, what, like afternoon in New Zealand and because of the time difference, you landed on Wednesday, but before afternoon is that correct yeah so I think um I couldn't get back to Auckland on the Tuesday night but I could get back to Auckland I could I could get out to fly out I think it was seven o'clock Wednesday Wednesday evening and it was via LA and I think I got to I landed in Mexico about 6 p.m on Wednesday evening um and for any of you that's seen that golf course it's at 8,000 feet it's tight it's niggly and it's not the place you want to play without a practice round but I actually thought, oh, why not give it a crack? It's the WGC. Obviously, you know, there's no cut. So you, in that sense, it was you know, guaranteed money made it a little bit easier to go. Um, but, yeah, I did feel like I was playing really well and felt like I could compete, but I was broken when I got there. I think I shot 72, 73 for memory the first two rounds and was running like 30th. And then I hit a wall and went backwards really quickly. And then I couldn't get out. I think the flight home was Monday night out of out of Mexico. I think I went to Houston and then it was a 15 hour flight to Auckland. Then I went home for about an hour to repack my bags. And that's an hour and a half flight to Queenstown. And I arrived on Wednesday morning. Um, thankfully I'd played the golf courses before, so I didn't really need any practice. I just spent the whole time trying to sleep. And um, I think I finished sixth that week somehow. And then I crashed and burned for, after that, I was I was broken. I yeah, I th- I did spend more time in the air over a two week period than I. Well, I definitely spent more time in the air than I did in Mexico. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a yeah. I mean, it was a, an opportunity that was really hard to turn down. I probably went against advice and probably hurt my golf game a little bit for it. But um, you know, you live and you learn, I guess. Well, it's hard to turn down a WGC start. Let's uh, let's talk about another uh, memorable moment from twenty nineteen, uh, which. A game came in a major championship at Royal Port Rush in the Open. The first round went out in uh, 39 strokes on the front nine, and then the back nine became the first player in Open Championship history 
to shoot sub 30 on the back nine of any open championship. And I was there at Portrush that week. I didn't think that back nine was very easy at all. Neither did I for the rest of the week, to be honest. But um, that was a weird one. I'd obviously, after winning in Perth, I'd had a month off. I'd been, we got married, had a honeymoon in South Africa, had a great time. Came back on tour feeling, you know, I was on top of the world. Basically, everything was going great. And then I, I missed seven cuts in a row in the lead up to that open. That's right. So I got into Port Rush. Obviously, my golf game, I'd missed a couple of cuts by a shot and felt like it was getting closer. But I was nowhere, you know, confidence was way down. I shot three over the front nine thinking, oh, it's just another one of those weeks. You know, I'd, I'd not played that bad. I'd probably hit two bad shots and had, you know, not got a couple up and down or something. And it just looked like another one, exactly what I've been doing for the previous seven weeks. And then out of the blue, I hold a, an eight footer. I say out of the blue, I don't think I'd hold anything over about three foot the whole day and hold an eight footer for birdie on 12, 11. 12, 12 is a par five. And then, I don't know, I went unconscious for a while there. Um, I, yeah, six, I think I had six birdies in the last seven holes. Um, and there's some pretty pretty strong holes out there. I think the only one I didn't birdie was a 16th, which is... It's par four anyway, that hole. Yeah, yeah it felt like that. And, um, I didn't miss a shot. I think I hit it. I think I hold a, maybe a 20-footer on 13 for birdie and everything else I hit inside 10. And there's some pretty tough golf shots around there. And... Then all of a sudden I get whipped off the course to do some interviews and, you know, you set an open record and I'm just like, I'm just happy I shot under par. Yeah. You know, I had on a, on a tough golf course, I saw it, it was, yeah, it was, it was freaky. And, you know, to, to, to have that as a record is pretty cool considering there's been 149 of them so far and um, not something you'd, I'd necessarily expected, especially after how I was playing. I still went out the next day, was nervous as hell, and made the cut on the number. But it was, um, yeah, to get a slice of open history is is very, very special. Well, you finished tied 16th that week, which is uh, very, very commendable. 2020, 2021, three top 10 finishes, which included the runner-up down at the Vic Open to Minwoo Lee. Those two years, uh, obviously very stressful for everyone, but probably more so for yourself being so far away, as you've mentioned in New Zealand. How was it? Like how stressful was it? It was a mess to be honest. Um, I'd started, I'd started 2020 really well, played pretty solid in the middle East and then finished second at Vic and was feeling really good about my golf game. And then obviously the world got turned upside down in March. Um, And then, you know, obviously New Zealand got, was in a pretty good place early with COVID. Everything felt pretty normal. And I made the call to, to go overseas uh, in June to play again. Um, and then that's when everything kind of got weird back here. Um, we decided we were going to do this elimination strategy. Um, and then, you know, we were implementing 14-day hotel quarantine for everyone coming in. And to start with, it was easy enough. You just book your spot and you get home and, okay, 14 days in a hotel sucks, but at least you knew you could get home. And then it just, just over the next year, it just got worse and worse. Um, I remember booking, obviously, 2021 was a bit more of a normal year in terms of, you know, no status rolling over on tour and stuff like that. And so we had the the Middle Eastern events at the start of 2021 and, I'm trying to, I'm waiting for them to be confirmed to book travel, which didn't happen till I think early December. And we've all of a sudden got a booking system for our quarantine spots. And 
I looked to try to come home in February and there was no, there was no dates to come home, nothing available. And at that point, my wife, when I was looking for flights, my wife was about 38 weeks pregnant. So there's no, you know, she understands I've got to go away, but it's pretty hard to go. Well, I've got to, I've, you know, I'm going to have a four week old at that point. I'm going to go away and not know if I can come home. So we were stressing about that. Basically got told, you're just going to have to keep re refreshing the site and hope someone, you know, pulls out of their spot and something comes available. Thankfully that did. So I, I managed to get a spot the day after Saudi um, or the, the, or the first day I could actually get home with a flight after Saudi. And so I, I left in January um, with a four week old knowing I'd have to, I was away for three weeks and had to do another 14 day hotel quarantine when I got home. And then all of a sudden we get to Saudi and they start canceling all the flights from Saudi back to Dubai. And I'm, I'm looking at this um, booking system we've got and the next available date is May to get back into New Zealand. And I'm going, I'm talking to my manager, I'm stressing out going, if I, if I don't get back home, I can't, I can't get back till May. Like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like I can't, I can't have a, you know, I can't miss five, five months, four months of my daughter's life that, you know, it all, it all worked out in the end, thankfully. Um, you know, the, the tour was great and kind of, we basically had a charter flight back from Saudi to Dubai and I could get my flight Monday morning and I got my, I got my quarantine spot, but you know, there was basically the whole, the whole time I'm dealing with that. And then, I missed a bunch of events in April, March and April, knowing that if I left the country, I couldn't get back in. Um, and obviously with a, with a young daughter at that point, and, you know, my wife wanted and needed support at home. It was pretty tough to, for us to all leave and pack up and go overseas with all the uncertainty. And um, I had, I finally made the call in May that I had to go. Um, there was no, you know, I needed to keep a job. Um, and, at that point, families could, couldn't come to events. And um, so my wife decided, well, if I can't come to events, I'm not going to sit in a little flat in London and, um, you know, with no help, no family support and, and you know, just be alone. So she decided to stay at home until something changed when we could get families to events. And there was a stressful couple of months there waiting for, you know, the governments to give the tour the all clear that we could have extra people at events. And um, I finally got to catch up with them. Uh, the Scottish Open in 2021, which was what, early July. So you basically had two months apart. Is that right? Yeah, two months apart. Um, so obviously there was a there was a fair bit of stress in there. Um, you know, not it's pretty hard leaving home, not knowing when you'll see your family again. And then, you know, when they're over, it was great. They were traveling. They traveled to most of the events, especially, you know, the one good thing with the pandemic from my point of view is there was a lot of events in the UK and the travel was really easy. So, you know, with a, with a young daughter at that point, but the travel was a lot easier than traveling all over Europe and stuff. So that made it a bit easier for the family to travel. And I, I had a, a decent little stretch through there, um, enjoyed them traveling and we managed to get a spot to come home uh, in our, in our system, in our quarantine system the week after Wentworth. And, at that point, I played Wentworth, played badly, but made the cut, finished sort of down the bottom. And I, we're, we're tossing up whether I'm going home, whether we're going to go home after that week and miss the rest of the season and, you know, basically be stressing from the wrong side of the world to see if I would keep a card or not. 
or give up our quarantine spot and not know if we could get home at the end of the year. Um, and so we, we made a tough call to, to give up our quarantine spot. Um, and then we were in limbo for a while. Um, I think at the end of the year, we had, I think three or four different options of what the ideal option was to get a quarantine spot to go home and spend Christmas with our families. And, you know, from, I guess the Dutch open onwards, I felt like I had enough up that if I went home, I'd probably be okay for keeping a card. Um, then the other option was to go down and play all the events in South Africa and stay with friends in South Africa. Another option was to go to the States and stay in the States with friends. Another option was to stay in the UK by ourselves over Christmas. It was all just a bit of a mess. And, you know, it was a pretty tough, tough couple of years there. And um, yeah, I was pretty thankful to get home at the end of, at the end of the year, even though I missed a couple of events to know I had a job for, for this year that I was home with my family. And, you know, at that point, even though New Zealand was very frustrating to travel in and out of, we at least didn't have restrictions. So when I got home, well, actually when we got home, we did have restrictions. Auckland was in lockdown, but by the time we got out of lock out of quarantine, we sort of had no restrictions. So we knew at least we were going to have a little bit of normality at home and chance to reset and try to get over, you know, what a, what a difficult couple of years it's been. And thankfully the, the start of 22 everything's felt a little bit more normal obviously apart from being in quarantine now but seven days feels a lot lot nicer than 14. Gee wow mate you've just uh, you've blown my mind with everything you've been through I think people are going to respect that second win a couple of weeks ago even more after that well when you when you do get out of quarantine in 24 hours uh you, you mentioned that you're a father now and uh you, we all know about your love of fishing what's a typical week off look like for Ryan Fox? Um, well, this week I'm going to be probably drinking a bit too much red wine, eating far too much red meat and on babysitting duty. And I'm, I'm sure my wife has counted how many nappies she's changed in the last five weeks. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try to make some of that up. But, uh, a normal week off for me is I actually, I enjoy playing social golf. So I'll play social golf with my mates when they're around. I've had a group of mates at home I've played with for more than 20 years, I think both on Saturday and Sunday, they all stayed up and watched the golf. Obviously I think I had 500 messages in our group chat each night from them watching the golf, um, which is pretty cool. And um, so I'm looking forward to catching up with them. And then obviously a lot of family time. Um, as I said earlier, my daughter started walking while I was away. So I'm awesome. looking forward to, 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 to seeing that in the flesh. I've seen a lot of videos of it and, she's getting less and less interested at me on the phone. So hopefully she still remembers me when I get home and um, I'll definitely be doing some fishing as well on top of that when I get some permission, but I think <laughs> at least a win probably the wind's got me enough brownie points to get a couple of fishing trips away at least. Have you had the opportunity to fish while you're on the road in Europe? And, and if so, where's your favorite spot to fish? I've done it a few times. Um, we actually did a trip in Dubai while we were there um, in between uh, Dubai, uh, Abu Dhabi in Dubai, I think, um, which was which was a lot of fun uh, with Justin Walters and Dean Burmester, two of my best mates on tour. And, um, you know, we pretty much all we talk about is fishing and rugby when we get together. Um, the rugby, I try to leave it out because I've beaten us a couple of times lately. But <laughs> probably my favourite spot is Oman. Um, when the Challenge Tour final was in Oman um, a few years ago, I a friend of mine back here who's a charter skipper 
I was having a conversation with him, said, I'm going to Oman. And he rang, he, was, it was over email and he rang me straight away. said, if you go to Oman, I've got the best giant trevally fishing you'll ever see. I've got a mate who's a charter skipper over there. I'll put you in contact with him. I'm like, yep, okay, that's that's cool. I'll go do that. So I booked it after the Challenge Tour final in 2015 and um, it was unbelievable. And I've been back a couple of times since. It wasn't quite as good the second and third time, but it was such a cool place to fish and we got some amazing GTs and, yeah, just... Uh, yeah it's cool to be able to do that you know have be able to do that on tour there's a few guys that love fishing um the one i'm gutted about missing out on i think in tenerife last year a few of the guys um went out fishing and caught a bunch of big bluefin tuna um which i know i know victor de was was integral in organizing that and he's about as mad on fishing as anyone i've ever met um and yes, yeah, so I was a bit gutted I missed that event. That would have been one to tick off last year, but um, hopefully we get a chance to go back at some point and I'll pretty much go there for the fishing and leave the golf as a, as a secondary. But um, yeah, I, I do enjoy trying to do it as much as I can. It probably doesn't happen as much now with the family traveling. Um, but when it was just me and my wife, my wife actually enjoys fishing for the most part, not all day, every day like I do, but um, she can definitely be tempted into a trip out on the boat. So um, yeah, it was nice while we could do that. And hopefully in a few years when my daughter's old enough, I can drag her out fishing um, a bit and hopefully she enjoys it as well. But now that you've got the win under the belt and job security for the next couple of years, what's the, what's the rest of 2022 look like for you? Um, it looks a lot easier, to be honest. Um, obviously, this is the first time I've ever been in this position on, on tour, um, on this tour anyway, you know, to have... Even in Perth, it was the year plus one. So the next year kind of felt like, you know, you were start, you were still starting from scratch again. You needed to to keep a card. Whereas, you know, to to know you've got I've got job security for a couple of years is is awesome, and um, it definitely makes planning a schedule a little bit easier. It's um, obviously I've gone a fair bit up in the world rankings after last week as well. So, you know, there's a chance to qualify for the PGA Championship. I'd love to qualify for the Open. I mean. Uh, St Andrews is special on the 150th is going to be even even better and um, so yeah I guess the the focus has changed a little bit from from what it was the goal at the start of the year was to win again um, and to take it off that early is is pretty cool and I'm you know looking forward to to what's what's on the rest of the year obviously the golf game feels like it's in good shape there is the President's Cup on this year I mean I'm still a long way away from that but um you know, I'd like to try to push for a place in that later in the year. And um, you've got plenty of plenty of big events to try to do that. So I guess that's a that's the goal for the rest of the year to try to do that. And, and I'd love to crack that top 20 on the money list. Obviously, I got close a few years ago and, um, you know, pretty good start leaves me in, in, in a good place for that now. Well, we look forward to watching you the rest of the year, mate. Uh, it's been fascinating to hear your journey uh, in the game of golf and, and life itself. You've got an incredible story to tell. You come from a great family. Thanks for joining us today on the Life on Tour podcast. And uh, as I said, we look forward to watching the rest of 2022 and beyond. Thanks a lot, Paul. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate.